0: Hi, this is Cliff Grigo for the picture-poems.com website and the circle and the square. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number four of the series we started uh, back last spring called Talking Hands, Talking Feet. And I can briefly summarize uh, the ground we covered Up until now, we've been talking, for the most part, through those first three episodes, um, about uh, what is called Step Time. If you recall, or perhaps you're new and just tuning in with Episode 4, they're all more or less self-contained. So, Step Time, we call them steps rhythmically instead of syllables. So, syllable, the word has three, step has one syllable, so step is self-referential and very much more appropriate when working with small children and even for us uh, grown-ups. It has advantages of uh, clarity and simplicity. So we say steps, and uh, talking hands, talking feet, uh, that refers to how we simplify the movement of dance, of music, of poetry, or perhaps all three together, and bring it down to a rhythmical essence. So the simpler it gets, the closer we get to some sort of essence of the movement of energy and meaning. So, that last phrase, the movement of energy and meaning, we would simplify the movement of energy and meaning. So, that's a ten-step phrase, we call them. And again, this is uh, talking hands, talking feet, is both purely childlike uh, simplicity, simple, but also infinitely complex. So skillful means would uh, imply, well, what's our audience? To whom are we speaking? What is it um, being used for? Is it solely for composers, or is it for singers, or is it for poets, or for dancers, or lord knows what, perhaps all uh, three or four or five, but it depends on the context. So we have this concept of step time. And again, for those who are new, just to uh, recapitulate. Recapitulate. That's a four-step, four-syllable word. Four-step word. So uh, we learn in Talking Hands, Talking Feet how to tap that rhythm. So the simplest way to do it is simply duck, 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 duck. So I'm tapping with my left hand uh, on my knee. By the way, I'm comfortably seated at um, a um, circumambulation of the Wallawas camp. It's uh, Monday the 3rd of September 2018, and this is about halfway through the counter-clockwise circumambulation of the mandala. And this is a place I like to come to this time of year to um, recoup a bit, bring energy together, and to compose. Mostly to write um, orchestral uh, music. And you can hear in the background, I'm on a rushing uh, mountain, river, creek, depending on your language use and point of view. For me, it's a river. It's flowing north. It's pristine and pure. You can drink right out of it. It's cold, about minus 9C. The last time I checked it uh, uh, yesterday or the day before. And so we're moving into the, um, in mountain time, the colder autumn time of year, but not quite, very gradually, but it's been cold. So, talking hands, talking feet. Well, um, important is that it is, for me personally, in the way that I teach it and share it, a uh, practice in the sense that um, yoga and Alexander Technique or for those who are familiar with that Feldenkrais would be appropriate as well Um, uh, but we limited to yoga and Alexander Technique practice so uh, the exercises for example in yoga in the circle and the square especially for performers Well, it's all about movement without force. We'll come back to that in a more philosophical context in a little bit. So we're moving on from the three episodes we've had on step time, and we'll keep coming back to step time, obviously. Uh, But we're going to be talking more about relational resonance. So a practice is very much like um, yoga, and you, the intention is is that uh, you incorporated it into your daily uh, yoga practice. And it's in spirit somewhat related, distantly, to what I've read and heard you call in Sanskrit mantra-yama, So it's you're working with sound and in the circle and the square we say not just sound but movement, there's a crucial difference because sound is, let's see, how do you say that movement is more general. So if we were drawing circles around a generality ringing out into space, the wider circle is obviously movement. So sound is moving, and then you have this difference in music, especially between sound and rhythm. It's related to the difference. I'll just throw it out so you can meditate on it. The difference between vowels and consonants. In every culture, every language, think of that. Every music, indeed, every music has its own unique idiosyncratic mix of both. So they are complementary in some sort of deep way that we're trying to get closer to, perhaps even understand a little bit in the talking hands, talking feet. So it's practice like yoga. Um, I really wish the AT Alexander people would tune into it into it because alexander way in the distant past um say in the 60s and 70s in london where when he was developing uh, the alexander technique well in the circle and the square we say very simply that alexander technique as a complement to yoga doing things without force so you could do yoga without doing a single exercise You're doing it all the time. You're watching when, even when speaking or doing a talk about relational resonance when one is forcing. So forcing is seen as an unnecessary use of energy. So you're wasting energy. And as it becomes grosser, less subtle, it can lead to a form of violence both against... One self, one's own instrument and uh, others, and obviously also with the earth. So we have this movement of energy, of relationship, and this movement, our intention is to move without force, unnecessary force. And the Alexander Technique complements that in a wonderful way in the way that we see it, so it's movement without unnecessary tension. Tension can be a good thing, right? We have uh, Bucky Fuller with the genius of tension compression design. So without physical tension and compression at the same time, we wouldn't have the the marvel of a geodesic dome. Personally, I can hardly be here without my geodesic dome, little alpine tent that I use as my base camp office. So tension can be a good thing, but as musicians think of the pianist, of how much energy does it take to hit that key? (laughs) So the intention of the AT, the Alexander Technique, is to do it in a minimalist way. Well, what could be bad about that? It's like keeping the money in the bank. If you don't need to spend it, you just uh, let it sit. <laughs> so we have the yoga and we have the AT as a daily practice, adding to that, the kind of mantrayama, but it's much more general in spirit, of talking hands, talking Let me just mention this right now. All along this pilgrimage, that's why it's in the spirit of pilgrimage, you never know what's, uh, is really a journey into the unknown. Who you're going to meet, what's going to happen, accidents happen, you know, good, bad things. It's, uh, but you're tuning in to the song of a place. And I'm sure that's something like the native Australians mean with song life. Personally, that's how I remember everything, even if it's music, as a kind of journey made on foot, spatially, in that kind of time. So it's a practice. And what I wanted to mention before we go into more detail is that well, this has almost nothing to do with poetry as we know it. So, what we're talking about in the circle and the square is liberating poetical, musical thought and thinking. Because in our view, we're very deeply stuck in a kind of uh, cultural conditioning that is very much worse than useless that is really a kind of prison and the poetry of the printed page we've talked about this before is in direct relationship to music of the printed page it's a marvelous abstraction extremely powerful that we can think so quickly, jot things down, remember them effortlessly not, not, but it comes at a tremendous price. It's rather similar to hydrocarbon man and the cars that we use and the difference between walking or riding a bike or skiing or snowshoeing or running. There you know, lots of mountain runners out here, boy. It's beautiful. To see how quickly and lightly people, when they really bring their energy together, can move on a simple gift of a mountain trail. But you never know who you're going to meet out here, and one person that, um, as a poet, as a doer of poetry, a lover of poetry, I just want to mention, And bring into our fourth episode of uh, Relational Resonance Talking Hands, Talking Feet is the great uh, uh, Stefan Herzog. And he recently uh, uh, passed away three or four years ago. He remained fiercely, radically active up into the middle of his 90s, I believe. Now, I'm not going to talk about the things that we always talk about, that he was in, in the resistance, taken prisoner in Paris. He was a German, of German, king from Berlin. His mother knew Louis uh, Andreas uh, Salome, the uh, paramour of Rainer Murray of Rilke. So that's the culture he's coming from. And uh, they wound up in Paris way before the Nazi uh, takeover of Germany. But uh, uh, the one thing I wanted to bring out was his uh, love, I should say is his love of poetry because it's a living presence. And he famously knew, let's not count them, let's say countless poems by heart. And would on occasion perform them. And I swear to the gods before me, And he insisted that was the case. That's how he got through. He was taken prisoner in different concentration camps. I think he escaped Buchenwald. But anyway, a read-up on Stefan Hessel, H-E-S-S-E-L. And it's a marvelous story. And I think there's a Deutsche Welle, there's even an English version, which I haven't seen. I've seen the German version of him performing poetry and it's something to behold, and um, it's a movement of energy, it's not just sound, it's a movement of energy and meaning that filled and fills his whole presence, and filled the entire space, when and where and why and with whom he was performing. And uh, that's what we want to bring into the circle in Talking Hands, Talking Feet. In that other series we're working on, Poems to Live By, that's what it's about. It's not about writing poetry or writing music. It's that you become, in a way, you are the music. You are the poem. You are there serving the essence of that poetry in that music. And that's why all this academic culture of writing things down and books and all the rest of it has very much um, taken us away from what some might call the true spirits of poetry. And don't forget in the circle and the square, In the wider circles, we make no difference between dance and music and poetry. It's only when we become more specific. Okay, now we're moving more into poetry, now we're moving more into music. So, Stefan Hessel. Without a doubt, in my view, the greatest performer of poetry in the 20th century, I would say. And it's not the individual home. We're going to look at a real piece. But that doesn't matter. The individual content. The specific content. What fascinates me is the energy. And, well, and then it comes back to yoga and Alexander technique. The mantrayama. The mandala. The nadabrahma. Of sound. The movement of sound. How powerful healing, whole-making it is for all those who partake of its essence. So that sound, I'm only about, I can see the water flowing, I'm sitting in the shade, it's almost dead-noon natural time. Let's lighten things up a little bit. Talk about um, these surveys I just heard on uh, Austrian public uh, radio. Highly recommended for those who have German. Just to get a a German-speaking area is much more than just the 80 million people of Germany. It's a huge area which includes the Alps, and I'm always interested in what the Austrians over there, and I know it's so little, I wish I were there right now. But they did a survey, and this is the EU-wide. Yes, the Austrians are in the EU even with their right-wing descent and the barbarism. That, um, um, they did, do you want to keep, uh, what do we call it here, <laughs> daylight savings? Well, in Europe, you call it Sommerzeit and Winterzeit, so summertime and wintertime. And they did a poll, and 80%, eight out of 10, people said, get rid of the damn thing. Why, (laughs) even Scientific American, almost two decades ago, I believe, came out out with an article advocating that it should just be abandoned, because it doesn't do anything except disrupt uh, things, and there's no real saving of energy and all the rest of it. But anyway, they did a poll, use of language, talking hands, talking feet. Which one, okay, we want to get rid of it, but which, so uh, what are you going, what do you want? And everybody, of course, said, wow, yeah, Zoma Science, (laughs) summertime. (laughs) Uh, Talk about a loaded question. So if you were to do that, Daylight savings time, what is the other one here? I don't uh, um, I have such difficulty because it just wrecks havoc with my work, not just the photography work. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we move on. Relational resonance is not just sound, but also rhythm. See, that's why we need those two complementary concepts. They should really have a different word for both at the same time. Just like consonant and vowel, percussive and sustained, simple sound. Well, I wish they would bring it back, but I I run basically on natural time because I'm out here doing phenological time work uh, with plants. And uh, for a photographer, it's death, just jumping around. you got to know your natural light. A botanist as well. So getting back to talking hands, talking feet. Relational resonance. So what does that mean? Well, here's a simple experiment. If you're anywhere near an acoustic piano, we are not, unfortunately. But we have it deeply internalized. Uh, All you need to do is go over, we talked about this before, push down the right or the sustaining pedal if it has two or three. And that lifts up all the um, dampers on the um, keys, the 88 or however many tones you have. This won't work on a synthesizer or an electric panel, so don't try it. but with an acoustic piano, like a nine-foot Steinway, or Bösendorf, or something like that. And then just punch some notes at random, and that melody that you play, say, uh, ten notes or so, let's make it fifteen notes to get into ryoka, the poem we're going to do, the first phrase is 15 steps, so punch 15 steps. Now, what happens is that when you push down the um, sustaining pedal, you get this marvelous folding of time into space. So it holds on to and lets sing as a kind of primal, natural m- memory all of that pattern of sounds you've just played one by one so the one at a time becomes all at once now you can reverse that and take a chord just say with three fingers and play the chord push down the sustaining pedal let it sing resonate now lift up the sustaining pedal and plays the three tones, notes, sounds, whatever you want to call them, separately. So that's the sound of time becoming space, and the sound of space becoming time. They mutually arise and mutually interpenetrate. And in our conscious thinking, don't forget, we're talking about the liberation of musical thought. So we gotta have a serious wider circle of philosophy. Otherwise it's hopeless to ask really primary questions. So we got a head start because we got our yoga and Alexander technique right there. So we already basically have the whole of Taoism, of doing things without force, of non-action, Wu wei So you let nature move. Just like those dampers that lift themselves from the strings of the piano, they, res- they are free to resonate without the freedom. That's a deep sense of inward freedom of the string. They will not resonate and sing. If they're damp, they're like what we've become. Or what the synthesizer has become, the electronic piano. It doesn't resonate with anything. It's not alive. It's stone cold and dead. And so, in talking hands, talking feet, what we're doing is reawakening something that we grown-ups have lost. And we people of Western culture, especially, and especially, especially of English-speaking culture have lost. And just like this river is going to slam into a diversion dam about 3K further downstream, about 100 meters or where it's uh, 1450 here it falls very rapidly and be totally diverted for whatever reason so this water here is alive the sound you could walk over there hold on a second so i'm standing up and walking if you don't know this sound, this is where you want to come to do your yoga, to do your Alexander technique, to do your writing, thinking, reading, resting. I'm standing here at a wild, marvelous, unused place. Why is it unused? Let's keep it secret. It's because you can't try. So no one comes here. That would mean you'd have to carry all your stuff. Oh, good God! We'll keep it secret, and it's totally safe. So why people haven't? You could just come here for a whole week and do absolutely nothing. Download and listen to a few episodes of Talking Heads' Talking Heads. And give it some serious attention. It might be worth it. But for me, anyway, it's like, um... This doing poetry by heart. Remembering Stefan Hessel and powerful medicine. And... Uh, For me, it became a way of life, just personally, a long time ago. And I came to it from music. Because no one was asking me to know poems by (laughs) heart. It just seemed second nature to me because that's how I've always done music. So many of the deeper techniques of talking hands, talking feet are musical and directly related to percussion, piano playing, you know, punching the keys, and especially conducting. But you don't need any of those three things uh, in order to practice it, to get to know it. And I was saying about that reawakening a sensitivity and awareness the deliberation of musical thought, of tuning into movement. Well, you see, with uh, talking hands, talking feet, begins with children in the womb. They're never too young to do talking hands, talking feet. And it's for them completely second nature, natural. What's the right word? It's our way of being, our culture, education, everything, that takes it away from them. Just like uh, that takes away their natural yoga, and especially takes away their Alexander technique. I do not know a single Alexander teacher. Who does not use photos of babes still in diapers sitting just like old Cliff here on the uh, conifer mountain forest floor, ground. So Mother Nature teaches us to sit without force, without effort, and we lose that. And there's no reason, not only should it not be lost, but it should be an ethical imperative of culture and learning and education, especially, to protect that gift, just like you protect this force, this stream, from unnecessary use of force unnecessary attempts to control. But for us grown-ups, it's going to be a more difficult, challenging task to reawaken awareness. So relational resonance, we had our 15 steps, we were at our Steinway, Steinway piano, they tell me that in New York City, they're trashing their Steinways, they are even businesses that do that. They do not even recycle them. People just want to have a more convenient electronic piano. Think of that, that's what we've become. So tell your friends that if you want to understand what has happened to Homo sapiens right now, right here, losing our sensitivity, was one of the most beautiful examples I know. We've lost resonance. With what? Basically, with love. With the energy of the universe without trying to be highfalutin or profound or mystical. Out here, it's just the way are. So 15 steps of our ryoka poem, well another one, this is not just being sticky, uh, um, a sticky stickler for uh, phrases, but th- when language is precise it's always related to context, you can't do one without the other. And Aristotle had a way of saying that, I'm trying, I can't remember the Greek phrase, but don't try to be too precise. So that's one of the things I'm always weary of, is trying to be too precise. So step is simpler than syllable. We get our rhythm A 15 step, not line, that refers to a score or a page. This has nothing to do with the eyes. It has to do with not just the ears, But with our whole being, energetically, as a moving, living, resonating being. So the trees are listening. This is a marvelous little camp. This isn't where I'm camped, by the way. And we're keeping it secret. You can't drive here. You'd only have to walk 300 meters from your vehicle and carry your junk down here <laughs> and just because of that people will not come here that's what we've become walking electric pianos stone cold, heartless, and dead talking hands, talking feet, or resonance, 15 step free. How shall I hold on to my soul so that it does not touch yours? That's one breath. So breath, breath and talking hands, talking feet is our primary measure. And what is breathing is deeply related to relational resonance. So life is a movement, of relationship. We've talked about that before, and it's very beautiful. That's Krishnamurti. And then let's bring in David Bohm. Life is a movement of, relation, of re- relationship that's both qualitative and quantitative. Well, obviously, at the widest circle of all, there's no difference right so as we step in and things become manifest relationship becomes important and this isn't dualism it's a movement of resonance one at a time and all at once I believe Alexander used to say that too it's one of my favorite I'm not quoting him I say it all the time because in music we always forget that the deepest, emotional, gut-wrenching experiences in poetry and music, they are somehow timeless. There is an element of time, it's unfolding in time, but the time is secondary. Time is not the essential dimension of music, no way. Rhythm gets closer, but even rhythm, it's folding into this unseen realm of relational resonance. So now we're measuring our steps. And it can become highly mathematical and highly digital and computer if we want. Depends on the context. But we don't want to be too precise here. And if we're talking to children, do you see the beauty? You can take a three, four, or five year old and you're dancing the movement of. Words, which leads directly to music, to drumming, to playing the piano, the trumpet, the violin, and back and forth. So they're no longer in separate realms as they are now generally, especially in art music. So a 15-step phrase, how can I hold on to my soul so that it does not touch yours? Let's do another one, this is a 16-step phrase, how can I gently lift it up over you? unto other things. It's nice to hear the water in the background, isn't it? Life in the mountains is that there's the manifestation of complexity of life and then it falls back into this ground just as primal as the ground I'm sitting upon. This living sound of the river has been here for more than 12,000 years, completely, and totally, and utterly uninterrupted. Think of that. I would so very much like To tuck it away among long lost objects in the dark. Somewhere which remains, mistake, rewind. In some quiet unknown place, somewhere which remains motionless when your depths. Resound. So don't be shocked. This is a very powerful poem. We'll do the whole perhaps at the end. Or you can listen to it on somehow. This is love song, Liebeslied. Wie soll ich meine Seele halten? Das ist nicht an deiner Würd. That's the beginning in German. How shall I hold on to my soul, 15 steps. So now we wish to bring our music, our poem, in whatever form we have it, a recording. Say it's written down, we get an English translation. Say our translation, it doesn't matter. You have it, it's 127 steps all together and R translation. And when you translate, by the way, you don't count. Always this comes much, much further, like this river, downstream. But now we're practicing it, say, like a foot a Bach So, if you're not a musician, well, I highly recommend start. Why aren't you? Get an instrument you feel resonance with that awakens some delight, some joy, some love in your heart. Every child knows that they're exposed to real living sound. So not commercial music. (laughs) That's out. Real living sound. Not YouTube. (laughs) Wonderful. That's out. But you have to be there. You have to see the flautist, the pianist, the drummer, the trumpet player. And before you know it they'll say, Well, and you'll hear them saying, Mom, I like one of those fruits or trumpets. There's an inner voice in all of us. Now, what is that inner voice doing? It's resonating. And Ryoka's genius touches on that resonance in this masterpiece that we're tearing apart. Not to understand it, but to learn it by heart. Imagine Hessel surviving Buchenwald escaping. Something had to keep him going. These poems are a very great gift to give to young people. And like the great poet Robert Bly says, there's nothing better No better way to learn a poem than from someone who loves it. It doesn't necessarily have to just some someone who knows the poem by heart. And watch the child's eyes come alive with energy. And it has nothing to do with understanding, (laughs) like with yeah, what's the soul? is my soul. It's not about that. It's about doing some dance around and in and through the mystery and filling one's whole being with that energy. And yet everything that touches us, you and me, takes us together like a single bow. That's 22 steps. Drawing out from two strings, but one voice, that's nine steps. On which instrument are we strung, that's eight steps. And which violinist holds us in her hands? That's 11 steps. Oh, sweetest of songs. Sometimes I'll find myself saying without thinking, oh, sweetest of sounds. So if we were doing a Poetry 101 class with freshmen at the university saying this in the <laughs> so we have the text in front of them and we're up in the the whiteboard and writing stuff down and we might or might not use a little bit of german we might not think be thinking about which translation we're using all the rest of it and uh, but one thing that they would certainly talk about is imagery and notice here that all the marvelous images of course, they get they uh, shackle, sh- sh- hobble their feet straight away by trying to make intellectual differences between metaphor and analogy and image and all the rest of it. But really, there's only different similarities and, and dim- uh, different uh, similarities and similar differences, and they become different dependent on the context. That's how we not just teach, but. Uh, live our poems in the circle and the square so they're marvelous images now for people who only know commercial music and have never seen and don't forget now if you were a philosopher, are a philosopher, we're all philosophers acoustic violin is a retronym That means that it's referring to something that there used to be, just like organic tomato is a retronym. There used to be, a hundred years ago, just tomatoes. And now we have to differentiate between organic and industrial, full of poison, and one which is wholesome, not. So that's why we say acoustic piano, one that's natural and wholesome, An electric one which is full of a kind of tacit implicit poison and we are have gotten so used to it that we can no longer tell the difference and we have no language calling attention to that and it's a very great subtle form of violence to let children grow up in that world without being aware of the deep and profound difference of what real living water is, of what real living sound is. So a violinist. Yeah, mommy, what's that? So, real and don't forget, the lived in a time that we almost entirely lost Johann Sebastian Bach. So now we're going into the 1910s, 1920s. This poem is, I believe, uh, pre, or right around the beginning of the Paris, Marvelous Paris period, turn of the 20th century. but it has a central image first the resonance of love well we all know kind of what that is like and who is he talking to the beloved the reader it's both right and to himself herself in which violinist holds us in his hands, her hands. See how language pushes us in a certain way. It's a, a false sense of duality when we don't want duality. And yet everything which touches us, you and me, takes us together like a single ball. Well, imagine trying to just intellectually understand, let alone resonate with that means deeply sense, feel with your whole being so the tears just begin to flow like this water and yet everything which touches us you and me takes us together like a single bowl he's talking to the river, the trees, the earth all people, a specific to, all at once, one at a time. Draws out from two strings, but one voice. Oh, even Ryoka would have been hard pressed. Of course these are different times. If you wanted to know violin, you could only know violin directly. Recordings were just taken away. As far as I know, and I've looked far and wide, no recordings of Ryoka, thank God, in a way. Because <laughs> we're talking we're not so much concerned about Ryoka but deliberation of poetical musical thought. So that might limit us in an maybe he wasn't such a good performer, hmm? too self-conscious, whatever, it makes no difference. But to not know the beauty of the violin, that you can play what are called stops that you put your fingers down, is very difficult to do. And play more than one tone at the same time. You see on a piano that's effortless. The piano is the beginning of the end, in a way, because it's so utterly mechanical. You can become a singing instrument, like with someone like the great Glenn Gould. But um, there's a great danger because you're just punching the keys (laughs) and you cannot influence the intonation, um, the frequency. So let's do a scientific footnote. Stop the recording in a second. Uh, Resonance, when we think of scientifically in terms of acoustics, we think of uh, resonance frequency. So a specific... um, number of vibrations per second well that's a very recent only the last hundred and fifty years or so and only especially with frequency counters that have now become ubiquitous Um, you can have one on your uh, iPhone find an app for it and torture yourself with it and play with it Uh, I mean well uh, frequency (laughs) Is a uh, physical a concept from physical science, and um, uh, you can, like uh, Aristotle, that don't make it uh, uh, unnecessarily specific or complicated. He didn't quite say it, but that's what we're saying right now. Well, you can easily make it far too uh, complicated, unnecessarily difficult. So, we only use frequency when we actually need it. Otherwise you say tone or pitch or sound or whatever. But a double stop, what does it have to do? Well, frequency is a spatial concept, normally. So space, if you were doing very abstract philosophy, are differences which are co-present. They're all uh, here, that's how you define space in a way. And so all of these marvelous white and grand fir, some dug fir, larches, uh, they're the major conifers. And then we get the, um, there's a lot of uh, Holodiscus bicolora, what's the uh, um, ocean spring here. So that's one of the things doing field work that you explore. Why is that here on the north side, south side rather, it's much, much more infrequent. So all of these different species are co-present here. And they're changing in what? In relational tempo. We don't have, you see, we don't have a word for it, so we'll introduce that right now. In talking hands, talking feet. So we have relational Frequency. Everybody has kind of an idea of what that is. That's what you did when you played your Steinway piano and pushed down the sustaining pedal. But uh, relational tempo, what is that? We need that in science, too. That's doing things at the right time for the greatest amplification effect. And again, children should be our teachers and are our teachers. It's like, um, I think instantly of the Swiss-German, Guy It's on a, a swing. So when a kid is pushing a friend on a swing back and forth, so we have the pendulum motion, and every kid knows that if you want to give energy to that swing without thinking that way, you push at exactly the right moment. And they'll learn that within seconds. So doing resonance is doing also things for living sound and living time at the right time. And another personal anecdote, and we'll come back to the real thing, is that here, here I am, I'm, I'm doing this orchestral composing and whatnot. And so much of what I do in, is proprietary and secret and whatnot. The scores are horrendously complex, not uh, complicated, but can be complex, you know, you need two or three conductors. And uh, I've decided to stop publishing scores for things like the ones that I'm working on. I'm not about to publish them. And just to do finished, complete uh, recordings. So what you hear is what you get. That's it. With absolutely no intention. They could be. I mean, I'm always thinking of orchestras, uh, not just uh, my own in the past, Uh, but um, I'm thinking of, like, the great uh, festival orchestra in Lucerne, Cern, when Maestro Abado was still alive and conducting a magnificent orchestra that he brought together there. And of course they're just doing the old repertoire, but in rediscovering it in a marvelous way, like especially, especially doing Mahler. So there's a piece uh, that I've uh, been working on up here, and the timing of things, and to give it away there's a, an orchestra, a classic orchestra, five, six voices of strings and two harp players. So you resonate with things as a composer, and it's a way of mentioning like Stefan Hessel that you honor as an homage, that you do in walking, it's a kind of love resonance, coming back to real things. How shall I hold on to my soul so that it does not touch yours? How shall I gently lift it up over you unto other things? Well, there's a love resonance with us musicians, with the orchestra of love. And there are many things that could and will be said about that, but it's more for musicians. Uh, but there's a marvelous 4th uh, movement in the uh, 5th symphony And it's one of those mysteries of living sounds and listening to myself speak is a kind of meditation that you cannot record. <laughs> But that's what we've become, you know, I'm just making recordings. Um, but an orchestra of strings with popped beginnings. In phys- physics, you call them transients. It's the consonant of the sound. was oh, very beautiful. Listen to that music. And if you can find it, find the Yobado. It's on YouTube. That's music-making coming out of a very deep love. Just like this real Capone. is coming out of a very deep love of poetry and sound. And people, and perhaps even the earth. So up here doing this music, um, Um, much of uh, the most mysterious part of what you do is taking away so that it gets down to some sort of like the Japanese say wabi essence just those gestures that you need that's why poetry should never be taken away from music it's our primary discipline spiritually and philosophically because you need nothing for poetry. Open, honest, direct, naked, no instrument, only your voice. You don't even have to know how to read. So taking away, and lots of times I'll say to myself, oh, well, It's so important how sounds end. And we as performers and musicians frequently, uh, we hit the sound and move on. (laughs) We're thinking ahead, you see, because you don't want to make a mistake. But a good maestro like Abado will give the whole of the living sound attention. And it's not just Abado, but world-class musicians. Brought from the whole of the greats, from the Bienenfeldharmonik, from München, from Berlin, all coming together because they love the music in the way of doing music. So taking away, well, listened with a little bit of. Um, We'll do a second part for this come But when we start to do it in step time, learning it by heart, we're going to need a recording. So you make a recording. Say you're out here, camped here, with appropriate devices. And you make a recording. Then you start your next campfire with the book or the paper you had the little poem translation written down on. We could be doing this whole talk in poem in German, too. It makes no difference, the language. All languages move with a combination of consonant and vowel, masculine and feminine, yang and yin. in syllabic step time. Into that. So you make your recording and then you become your own guru teacher. So you're sitting at your own feet and learning it phrase by phrase. And just be patient. Do it over and over and over again. One mistake, one discovery at a time, like we say in the circle and the square. And then listen, make a recording of it again, and again, and again. And if you stick with it, uh, you'll be amazed. So we're getting up again, we're walking over to the river. Because our fourth episode, I think, has gone on more than long enough. And listening to the sound. So I'm walking steps now. How shall I hold on to my soul so that it does not touch yours? It's 15 steps. And now I'm tapping it. How shall I hold on to my soul so that it does not touch And how do I know it's fifteen? I don't count them rationally. I put them into patterns of one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. How shall I hold on to my soul so that it does not touch yours? And then I say, as I perform it in my rehearsal, that's what we're doing. We're rehearing and rehearing and learning and learning and learning. Because it's a very great gift to birth a poem like this to the universe, and it's perhaps an equally great gift to have the leisure and the sense of open space to learn it by heart. Why? Not for me, little Cliff Crevo but to simply pass it on to you. Okay, that's it for now. We'll pick up the real code with episode 5. Thanks for listening. This is Cliff. Get your bum out here. The wilderness is where it's at. Ciao for now.